Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are three people who can't stop talking while I count. I, I have to mute myself to keep from laughing during your <laughs> intro. You I mean, I did laugh, but you I muted myself. You sound so done. <laughs> Craig. Hi. And Tori. Hello, Internet. And we Don't start every it. week with good things so that we start with in a positive mood and we're not angry <laughs> and upset. None of so, us are angry. So, Dave... What or not, Dave? Craig, you're first. Craig, what's your good thing? All right, guys. Which of you can guess what my good thing is? Terraria. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, as at the time of this recording, Terraria just had a big, huge update. It's like the final update. So they've had, they've added content. The game came out like nine years ago or something. Eight nine years ago. Actually, no, it's older. I think it came out in like 2009. Anyway. Uh, the whole point is they've been pushing out some major content updates, and they finally, after a few-year hiatus, have released their last major update. So me and my wife have been playing, and, you know, in general, Terraria, really good game. When I first played it, someone told me, it's like Minecraft, only 2D. That is wrong on so many levels. The only uh, connection with Minecraft is the fact that you can build. Like, you can lay down... Uh, platforms and I mean you're building homes for the NPCs that move in, but it's closer to being like a Metroidvania type game where you have it's to explore a constructive the sandbox game. It's Minecraft. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean it made sense at the time because it came out roughly when Minecraft went into beta or release, but now it just doesn't make sense. It's a Metroidvania where you get to build uh some buildings for NPCs that will move in. Um. You explore, you find upgrades and accessories and things to augment your character. You fight a lot of bosses, which, depending on the difficulty mode, will get harder and harder with uh, different types of gameplay challenges there. So uh, it's a lot of fun, and I would say go into it just expecting that sort of gameplay, and uh, you might like it. I tried it for the first time when it first came out. I didn't like it because I was expecting Minecraft. Then when I went back to it, expecting more of a Metrovania, then I'm like, oh, this is a good game. Um, it's a lot of fun. Highly recommended. Like everyone's streaming it right now on Twitch. They pr- they might be streaming it for the next couple of weeks. I don't know by the time this recording comes out if they'll still be doing so. But uh, if you don't already own it for some weird reason, go buy it. It's like on the top of like Steam selling lists and everything. Anyway, new update just came out. Playing the heck out of it. So the last thing I played Terraria for was the Moon Lord update. Did I yeah. miss any between then and now, or what's up? I think that was the last major update, I think. Okay. Don't quote me on that, but maybe. I am definitely quoting you on that. No. Add quote that. <laughs> Please. Uh, Alright, Dave, what you got? My good thing this week is a series of mobile puzzle games called Flow Free. It's just like connect the dots, but they have a lot of different variations on it. They've got the standard one. And they've got one where all the cells are hexagons instead of squares. They got one where like 
you can warp through the edge of the screen. They've got one where you have to use bridges and stuff. And it's uh, it's actually pretty fun. It's it's a good way to spend a couple minutes or like 10, 15 minutes, you know, if you need to like chill out or if you're waiting in line or something. Each individual puzzle only takes a few minutes. Uh, but yeah, I've had a lot of fun with them over the years. And the one thing, I, there's one thing I don't like about it, and that is it the way that the puzzles are set up, you, most, every single one that I've done so far is set up in such a way that you have to fill every single tile with the line as you're connecting the dots. And, oh, and the dots can't cross each other. I guess that's kind of important too. Anyway, uh, I don't like how it keeps track of the number of moves that you've taken, which I think, and like you get a perfect score if you get the minimum number of moves, but really you only need one move per different color that you're connecting. So it's kind of stupid to keep track of like your score in that sense, because it kind of discourages you from thinking it out logically one cell at a time. So I don't like that. But other than that, it's a pretty fun game and a good time waster. I and also like that game. And I agree with you on that complaint. Like, your score should just be that you finished the dang puzzle. Yeah, right. Maybe put a time on there. But, like, the fact that I went from red and logicked out a couple of cells, then went to green, then came back to red, shouldn't affect my score. And if you're playing it, just pretend that that mechanic doesn't exist. Well, because there's a, a restart stage button. So anytime I do something and I'm like, will this work? And then I screw up. I'm like, oh, never mind. Restart. Yeah, that's It's a bad mechanic, though. Like, But it's a really fun game overall. Just play it. And don't worry about your, quote, score that doesn't exist. All right. Uh, so my good thing this week is the dinner that I cooked last night, uh, which I posted a picture of in our Good Things channel. And it is pasta carbonara, or the Americanized version of it, based on what I was able to get. Um, so basically, you fry up some sort of fatty pork cut into tiny pieces, in my case, bacon. Uh, I added some mushrooms to that, let them soak in all the bacon grease, and made them extra delicious. Boiled up some noodles, added those noodles to the bacon and the mushroom and a little bit of garlic, uh, and then the bit that makes it carbonara is you create a slurry, basically, of um, raw egg and grated parmesan. And then you add that to the noodles. And you make sure that you do not let any of this hit the bottom of the pan because it will then turn into scrambled eggs and you've done it wrong. Uh, but if you do it right, it just coats all the noodles in this, like, incredibly rich sauce. And it's just, oh my, ah, it's so good it's extremely good and i had leftovers of it for lunch today and it's still really good and ah it's one of my favorite recipes and and yeah this is this is one of the fancier things that i've that i've cooked in an effort to increase my culinary skills that i felt was actually worth the extra effort and it it's really not that much extra effort when you get right down to it, it it's just the timing of adding the eggs is that's all Egg timer. Something like that. But yeah, uh, when you were saying the it, it's the Americanized version of the pasta based on what you had. Um, so I have a, an Italian pen pal uh, lives in a little sla little town outside of Rome. And um, I'm not allowed to tell him anytime I have Italian food because it's always wrong. Always. Oh, oh yeah. What's it's and it's, it's super wrong. Like bacon is not allowed at all like 
you don't use bacon. You use this like very specialized salted pork jowl. Uh, and then for like the real version. What, what's that, Dave? Prosciutto. Is that Italian or French? Uh, that's it, that's the like acceptable option that you can exchange it out with if you can't get the real thing. I don't remember what the real thing's mm-hmm. called, but it's it's spelled prosciutto, but it's pronounced prosciutto. Yeah. Well, I use bacon. Mm. American bacon. Yep, American bacon from American pigs. Or American hippos. No, sorry, that was a science fiction book that I like. But yeah, it was incredibly tasty. It's probably going to be my lunch tomorrow also. And who buddy, it was good. Uh, So Tori, what you got? I found a YouTube channel. It's called The Exploring Series. And I found it because they have a whole playlist of videos. They just basically do deep dives on various subjects. So they've got videos for history and mythology. And But I ended up over there because I started watching the series of videos they have about the SCP Foundation, which is a thing that I'm into. I think I've mentioned that on here before. Um, but it's great because I can take my glasses off because I can't see without my glasses. And then I can listen to stories about SCP without having to read them because I'm that lazy sometimes. But there's over a hundred videos about SCP uh, articles, and um, but there's also the stuff about like history, mythology. I think there's a Star Wars series. Um, it's it's okay. I watch it at like one point five times speed because the narrator talks kind of too slow for my for my taste. But um, good <laughs> content. Good content. You're listening to the Chipmunks version. No, he talks so slow that even at 1.5, he sounds normal now. <laughs> you die. So you're listening to stories like a Voran man. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Wait, they're like basically just audiobook. Dude, I want to live in Voran time. Except I like reading too. Yeah, I, like I don't, don't want to have to cover up my hand all the time. That <laughs> sounds super annoying. Sounds really sweaty. Like, how sweaty are these ladies' hands that they have to... Ugh. Speaking of foreign culture, Dave, you read some chapters. Yeah, I read some chapters this two days. I read chapters 58 through 60 of Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings. I hope that's right. That sounds right for future Mike. Phew. Okay, chapter 58, The Journey. I bet this chapter comes before the destination. Yuck him up, the Roy Onion Knight. Dan Lan is perfect for Adeline. She's very pretty. Adeline kind of sees the point of the codes. Time for a duel. So Adeline's on this triple date um, with Yakimov, his, his friend, or Yakimov, as I like to call him. And he's a Roy Onion Knight, apparently. He's like High Prince Roy Onions, dude. Wait a minute. I just realized his name is Jakimov, which is the same. No, Yakimov. Okay, stop. Listen, there's a there's No, a guy you stop and listen. It's pronounced Yakimov. <laughs> I don't care how it's pronounced. <laughs> P.A. Renfair. Remember there's, there's Yakimov the Jester? I remember Paolo. Yeah. Well, now it's Yakimov or Yakimov, whatever. Either way, <laughs> I just realized that's his name because, you know, I just read it and I never think about the pronunciation. Maybe, uh, I know Brandon likes Renfairs. Maybe he came to Pennsylvania one time. And Maybe now, one and time I, ago. Well, and now I, go on, Tori. And now I'm sad because the Oklahoma Ren Fair that I've been participating in for 20 years is supposed to be right now. Oh. I think I went to that. Canceled. Is Oklahoma because... next to Illinois? 
No, no. It's not. never mind. I've never been to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my brother lives in Chicago and I visited him one time and we went to the Ren Fair in a neighboring state. But I think Oklahoma is a little far from Idaho. Ohio. Where's yeah. Chicago? Yeah, Illinois. Ohio is a new. Um, but you know, Brandon does use names of his fans, so maybe this—he actually the the juggler in Pennsylvania had the name Yakimov first, and Brandon wrote him into the book. True, could be. I'm told that he uses fan names. He does that sometimes, yeah. Maybe we'll have a character named Dave someday. One may hope. <laughs> Probably not in the Cosmere. I don't know. All right, it, where could are we? Be, oh, it could be Dave with like D A V, maybe an umlaut over the A, or D A E V. That would be pretty good. Dave, <laughs> or J A E V, Yave. All right, so we're on this triple date, and Dan Land, that is Adeline's uh, girlfriend, for a pretty good amount of time now. I think at least a good number of chapters, however much time has passed. I don't know. Uh, I'm like Nightblood. Um, I wish <laughs> <laughs> everything is yesterday. <laughs> Oh man! So Dan Land, his date, he's like, ah, this I like this girl. She's pretty. <laughs> okay, that's all you got out of dating her for several months is that she's pretty. She's but pretty, he and he likes her voice. Okay, that, that's pretty. I mean, it's, it's better thing. than being completely superficial, I guess. And it's lasted longer than like two days. So for Adolin, that's pretty good. Yeah, there might be more there that Adolin just doesn't recognize or understand yet. That's and yeah. he thinks she's smart. That's true. That's true. Ooh, three things. Man, she's a steal. Isn't it? It's, wait, it's Adolin? Yeah. I've been that, pronouncing it wrong yeah. for six months. How come you haven't stopped me? We did. When you did. when the we... character was first introduced, we told you how to pronounce it, and you said no. I, so we gave but, up. Like, it took me three months to remember his name, though. Anyway, Adolin uh, is starting to kind of see why his father is, likes the codes. And speaking of the codes, it's time to go have a duel, which is totally against the codes. End scene. All right. So continuing with chapter 58, uh, the way of King goes from Abamabar to Erythru. If Adolin wins a blade in this duel, will Sadius try to claim it? Was it Sadius or Sadius? Uh, Sadius. That's so inconsistent. I uh, know. It's in <laughs> fact in, in the audiobook. Um, Michael Kramer is the guy, and Kate Redding is the lady, and um, Michael they pronounce Richard, it portrayer of Kramer. Yeah, uh-huh. and they pronounce it differently in the same book. That bothers me just oh, a little geez. bit. the bu- The book is something like forty eight hours long, so like we can't blame them for you know not comparing notes because they were busy recording all of this stuff. But, right. They, uh, the way of King, if Adolin. Wins a blade in this duel. Will Sadius try to claim it? Exclamation how, how could point. he claim it? Well, because he was supposed to have claim on a, a blade that the uh, House Colin won, so he might try to. It doesn't matter. Let's move on. Oh, I see. You're you're trying to do some like fine print, which yeah, Sadius would totally. I feel look like Sadius cool. would try I, to. I feel that. Yeah. Like if Adeline won it in a blade, or won the blade in a duel or something, he'd be like, "Oh, House Colin won a blade. That's mine." Yeah. Anyways, continuing. Dine with the Night Watcher. That's Sylphrena's mom. King no hat on. I hope his head doesn't get cold. They're actually dueling with shard blades? What are they, nuts? Weakened plate could usually rebuff a blow. I thought rock type <laughs> was strong against flying type. 
Adeline wins. Yay! Dalinar will not abdicate. Elhokar may consider leaving the planes to stratagemize. Phantom Cabal's in every shadow. Who is he? Shalon? A bridge to Dalinar. Sadius is going to start listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. And that's the end of chapter 58. Okay, so tell us real what happened. I just did. Uh, uh, well, okay, so we're we're getting ready to watch Adolin's duel here. And we start off with Dalinar telling a story from memory from The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson slash King No Hat On. And <laughs> no hat on. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, so King No Hat On is telling about the time he walked when he could have taken a bus. And he's like, I had a good walk. <laughs> and Sadius is like, that's dumb. Why didn't he take the bus? But then <laughs> by the end of the chapter, Sadius is at least interested in, you know, hearing some more from the Way of Kings, if just for entertainment. It's, it's like he only cared about the journey and not the destination. Right? Weird. All right. So I, I was kind of shocked that they actually used their shard blades in the duel, but I guess it's pretty safe if they're going for one shatter. But there are other, like, and not that you, it would necessarily be fatal, well, but don't you get permanently disabled if you get hit by a shard blade like in the if leg. a shard blade goes through you yes your limb is dead right but, but i mean but in, shard in this plate way, is supposed to be able to rebuff shard blades plus usually plus think about duels in in our history i mean people would fight with real weapons too even presidents died during duels <laughs> how's this any different yeah i guess that doesn't make people it right but it makes it normal Jousting's like super dangerous. They do that at the Ren Fair. Well, yeah, they're blunted and they take all the precautions. Real jousts used to happen, which were incredibly dangerous. Oh, they'd have pointy lances instead of blunty lances. Modern NFL football has more injuries with permanent with permanent consequences than dueling in these books. How many football injuries have resulted in death, though? They have brain injuries. On a long enough timeline, a bunch of them. Probably not as dangerous as pro wrestling, though. So I I think shard bears know what they're doing. In this particular duel, the match is over as soon as the the shard plate gets one section shattered. So this particular duel probably isn't that dangerous. And keep in mind, there's judges who are watching. They can be able to tell, oh, that plate has shattered. I better, you know, stop. Blow the whistle. Duel. Yeah, blow the whistle so that way they don't continue. Do the Mario where you call TKO. Basically, it's it's an inherently dangerous thing they're doing, but with as many safeguards in place to keep it from being actually dangerous. Like skydiving. I think skydiving might be more safe, but sure. Possibly. I mean, I don't know. I've never dueled, nor have I skydove, so... Let's move on. Uh, speaking of di- skydiving, uh, so Ad- Adolin takes a, a flying-type stance, and his <laughs> opponent takes a rock-type stance. And I thought that rock-type was strong against flying-type, but Adolin just completely schools this kid. Oh, it's because Adolin's uh, like 20 levels higher. It's yeah, like, yeah, There's type advantage, but, like, but raw stats do win. Like, you could take Charmander and you scratch against Brock's rock Pokemon, like, and he'll even, he'll destroy the Onyx, 
with scratch just because his base stats are so high. It makes sense. It's Dude, just it's so I, annoying when I play Pokemon. I just want to use my good team, and yet they kill everything, even though I want to just capture some Pokemon. I'm like, I'm using weak type moves, but it doesn't matter. I'm like 10, 20 levels ahead. Yeah, you have to bring in your low level team to catch, to bring stuff to low enough health to take. Or just put him to sleep or something. Or use a Master Ball. Yep. Use all the Master Balls. <laughs> just use the Cinnabar Island glitch, dude. Get good. Uh, anyway, Adolin wins the duel. And then Dalinar decides to himself that he will not abdicate because that would be kind of taking the easy way out. And uh, Elhukar, the king, also kind of... Now that Dalinar has a, had a better opportunity to explain his position, it's not being cowardly and running away from the Shattered Plains, but he sees an importance to reunite Alethkar, and we can come about this vengeance pact in a more strategically strong standpoint. So, you know, he gets to explain his point fully to Elhokar, and he's like, you know what, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And then uh, they go on talking about the bridge assaults, and uh, Sadius, well, kind of excited that the battles are fun again, but he almost died. He's like, uh, Dalinar, maybe you should take some of my bridge crews. That way you can get to the plateaus before my army gets annihilated. And Dalinar is like, I don't know. They're human lives. And then Sadius is like, they're slaves. They're not humans. And then King Elokar is like, well, Sadius tried your idea of a joint assault. Why don't you try his idea of using your bridge crew? And they'll be relatively safe because Sadius's bridge teams would have taken the the greatest force of the Parshvendi archers and by the time you know and he's got a smaller force it's more mobile so Dalinar is going to come in with the human bridge crews you know slightly slower still get there in time to help but uh his the bridge crew that Dalinar is using in theory will be relatively safe compared to the ones that Sadius uses to get to the uh target plateau as soon as possible and then at the end of the chapter Sadius is like send a copy of that way of kings over to my house I'll have a listen this should be a fun yuck em up and that's the end of chapter 58 <laughs> yep that's exactly what he says okay 59 chapter 59 an honor. Well, it wasn't called the destination, so I'm a little disappointed. Chapter 59 is called an honor. Well, as long as the destination happens at some point, the <laughs> yeah, journey yeah. is before the destination. It could be in like Oathbringer 4, and that would still be <laughs> okay, right? All right. Yep. Date a beta banana. That means nothing to me. All right. Um, I think I just took words that sounded like words that I saw in the italicized text. And I ended up with data to beta banana. Alright, chapter 59. If they can Thanks fly... Me. <laughs> if they can fly, why would they bother running up walls? Someone's never played Super Mario World. The Radiants also listen to the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. A bridge, the number two, far. Kaladin is not David Bowie. Kaladin Aww. swipes Parshendi armor. What's he going to glue it on so they can't strip him when he leaves the chasms? Zilfrena is David Bowie. Kaladin is going to never-ending story two his way up the chasm wall. No, that's the worst <laughs> way. That's the worst scene. I hate every, it so much. <laughs> every wish. Oh Just my one God. hand. Right. 
We'll come back to that. Um, okay. It'll make more sense when I explain what that's referring to in the book. All right. Uh, so never ending story. To- a bridge to fall. Kaladin wants to cosplay as a Parshendi during the next assault. Wouldn't it be funny if they ended up running for Dalinar during the next assault? Then they wouldn't be passing the spot where Kaladin left the cadaver carapace. So chapter 59 starts with uh, the new, you know, the new principal of the bridge crews who's like, good news, you're such a good bridge, bridge four, that you're going to be a bridge on every bridge run. You're going to bridge run, you're going to be on call during every day and go to the chasms every night. Good luck. It's and like they're trying to get rid of them or something. Like they're trying to get them killed. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, part of this scene, actually, actually, I think before that happens. Yeah, before that happens, Teft and Kaladin and I think also Numuhuku Makiaki Ayalunamore. Craig, say it. No. Rock. Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> I think. I think he's also there. Well, they're trying to figure out, or they're trying to help Kaladin figure out how to draw the stormlight from the spheres, but they don't get very far here. And then Lady Principal shows up and she's like, two bridges or a bridge every day. And then they also happen to have chasm duty that day. So they go into the chasms. Kaladin has everybody start with spear practice. And then he goes off by himself with Sulfrena and. Uh, later on, and, and so when he's by himself, he cuts off uh, some of the the Parshendi biological armor and stuffs that in a bag. And then he meets up with V Lopen, and he's like, "You got the stuff?" And Lopen's like, "Here's your rope, buddy," or Gancho. And now they got to figure out a way to use the rope to get the Parshendi armor up onto the underside of one of the permanent bridges. So Kaladin uses his Stormlight ability. Remember, he he was sticking stuff to stuff, and he stuck that rock to the side of a building or something. And he uses this power to make uh, handholds and footholds so he can climb up the chasm wall with individual rocks, like sticking them onto the wall as he's going. And gosh dang it, that scene from NeverEnding Story 2, even as like a (laughs) five-year-old when I first saw it, I was like, what are you doing, kid? So... For those of you not familiar, uh, in Neverending Story 2, the, gosh, I can't even remember his name, the main character, Falcor, that was the dog. Um, Bastion. Bastion, yeah. So Bastion has this amulet that grants him a wish. Every time he uses a wish, it, it makes him lose a memory. So he's got to climb up the side of this mountain, and he asks for a single step. Every wish he uses is a single step to get up the side of this mountain. And I'm like, Kid, you could have gotten up that whole cliff, probably even gotten to your destination with a single wish. Like, why are you using 10, 20 wishes to get up the side of one cliff? That kid is a moron. Uh, for the record, I believe the book doesn't do that. Uh, okay. They There's just needed they needed an excuse for Bastion to use a bajillion wishes. So <laughs> you'd only have like one left, which is his, his father's memory or something for the end of the book but uh yeah and i and i guess i'll give him a little bit of slack because i was reading up on this apparently he had acrophobia so maybe he didn't want to go all the way up all at once because he was too scared wait you're talking about the boy who rode falcor at the end of never (laughs) ending story one and never it's a latent phobia and never ending story two according to wikipedia anyway he had acrophobia but even so, like, come on. How, why do you have to use so many wishes to get up one mountain? 
But I understand why Kaladin's doing it because he can only stick one rock to the wall at a time. Um, thus, Kaladin, uh, never-ending story two, is his way up the chasm wall. He uh, ties the rope up to the permanent bridge, and uh, he has the lopen tie the Parshendi armor sack, you know, so that he can, I guess, it has kind of like a pulley set up so he can get it up there. And he's like, I'm going to get it down from here. And so Fran is like, just jump, dude. You got Stormlight. What's the problem? So he jumps, and uh, fortunately, he had Mipha's Grace off of cooldown so that even though he fell a great distance, he didn't die. Wait, I have a question. Yeah. Did he land in a superhero pose? Yeah. Nice. And uh, Not quite. His knee didn't hit the ground. Kaladin, you have one job, man. It he was two feet in a hand, not, not foot, knee, hand. All right. Anybody ready for Chapter 60? Oh, boy, am I ever. Or any questions for Chapter 59? Nope. Chapter 60. That which we cannot have. Adeline convinces Dalinar not to abdicate. Got him. Adeline will have the power to depose his father. Devani doesn't trust Sadius. Devani crushes Adeline's hand. Do Fabriel's... <laughs> We'll, we'll circle back around. Do Fabrials actually interact with Spren? Dalinar Vision visits Kolinar. Dalinar meets King Coldhead. Dalinar quotes Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. Corvana's analytic. If the Venriel are chanting, then why is it called the Silent Mound, huh? And that's it. So we back to Dalinar and Adeline, and <laughs> I just thought, like, this... This is such a, a sitcom after commercial break scene. So like the chapter starts off with Adeline saying, and that's why you can abdicate, abdicate your, your uh, position to me. <laughs> so like we miss his, like his complete conversation. We get to the point where he's like, aha. And so we can only assume that he made a compelling argument off screen. Right. But. At any rate, obviously, Dalinar had already decided not to abdicate. Uh, but Dalinar does leave in this caveat that Adeline, and he's going to get some scribes to uh, notarize this statement, that Adeline will have the power to depose Dalinar should it become necessary. So Dalinar doesn't want to shirk his responsibility. He doesn't want to take the easy way out, but he also doesn't want to make it impossible to you know, be replaced should it be necessary. And he's unable to determine that it's necessary. And uh, Navani comes in and she's like, I don't like Sadius. I didn't even like him back when my husband was still alive. Who knows that he wasn't behind the assassination attempt. And like, most likely, I don't, I don't think Sadius was trying to kill uh, King Elokar, but at the very least, like, I could see him doing it to try to get attention drawn to himself. He's like, ah, I'll, I'll have this phony baloney assassination attempt so that I can be promoted to head inquisitor and blah, 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 whatever his grand schemes are. If that's the case, it, it might just have been an actual assassination attempt as well. And so uh, Navani also, she has this new soulcaster, or I'm sorry, Fabriel. A soulcaster is a type of Fabriel. She has this new Fabriel, uh, and they're like, what's with the new Fabriel? She's like, oh, have you ever seen Star Trek? And Adeline's <laughs> like, yeah, I kind of hurt, <laughs> hurt my hand during the duel yesterday. And she's like, give it. And she's like, 
she does that thing that Beverly Crusher has. It goes like, and it's just like instantly a hypo like yeah, that or like the thing that goes and just like it instant. I don't know if it actually heals it or just takes away the pain. And that got me thinking: there's a such thing as pain sprain, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So maybe this Fabriol actually she calls it a diminishing Fabriol, so that it removes something, it removes pain. But what if it's actually removing pain spren? Like, if what if they aren't aren't actually drawn to the pain? But what if they do actually cause the pain? And this Fabriol, uh, like somehow exterminates the pain spren or drives them off something. So a little little world theory there for Which you. Which one guys. is the cause? Which one's the effect? Yeah. And Sulfrena and Dal and Cabadu Kaladin kind of had that conversation earlier. Cut that out so it sounds like I remember his name. And uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not gonna. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we are kind of left with this question: Do Spren cause X and Y, or are they simply drawn to X and Y? And if they do cause, if pain Spren do cause pain, then this could kind of be an explanation of how Fabrials work. So we'll see as uh, the books unfold. We're clearly the messages and date theories. I, I, that's it. I'll, I'll reiterate it and tape it out. But um, so Dalinar, uh, a high storm is coming. Nobody heard it coming. Dalinar starts to go into a vision, and he actually visits his old hometown of Kolinar. But this is possibly before even the Night's Radiant existed. That's kind of his theory. He's like, oh, maybe I haven't heard. Or is it that right? Then, yeah, not the heralds are like the actual god dude. The knights radiant. So he's like, maybe this actually takes place before the knights radiant existed, and that's why I haven't heard of them in any of my visions. And he actually gets to meet the author of Way of Kings, King Coldhead, or King No Hat on, if you will. Brandon Sanderson, New York Times best-selling author. <laughs> <laughs> the New York Times bestselling didn't exist before except when he we was all a know the Night Radiant, and he only wrote Radiant. Elantris, and it didn't get it sold yet. <laughs> so did was he? A, I think my Elantris copy actually says that he was a best-selling author. Was he a best-selling author because of Elantris, or did he later become a best-selling author and then Elantris got reprinted with that blurb on it? I don't so think like a friend question, right? You don't know what's the cause and what's the effect. <laughs> <laughs> well, your Elantris I'm not, I'm not sure book Elantris has was a bestseller at the time. Your, your Elantris book has the best-selling author blurb because you have probably the tenth anniversary paperback, like right, I do. Uh, it's a, it's like red or something, and there's a picture of Serene and Hraithen like in Elantris. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so Delinar has this vision, and uh, King Coldhead. So it's a pretty cool little vision where he gets to meet the author of his favorite book um, and play Magic the Gathering with him and win. Uh, I didn't go easy on him. Uh, anyways, so Darmok... Gosh dang Darmok it. Darmok <laughs> Dalinar has been, you know, speaking, you know, during his visions, and he is actually speaking a dead language, and it takes uh, Navani to figure this out. Everybody else just thought it was gibberish, but it is this dead language. And Navani's like, I heard these words somewhere before. Can you remember everything? And, and she actually wrote down everything that he said out loud during the vision. And she's like, maybe this could be a key to, you know, discovering the meaning of all of these old words. Uh, and they do get one line, like the last thing that he said, and she's like, can you remember exactly what you said during this vision? And 
then maybe we can figure out this old language and translate some old scripts. And something about the Van Real hypothesis, because it's a language that these dudes use to chant on the silent mount, ironically enough. And that's the end of this week's chapters. Interesting. We got quite a bit of content for not a lot of action. Yeah, a lot of worldy stuff. I liked it. It gave me stuff to think about. Yeah. All right. Well, I have no questions for Dave. Same. Nope. No questions here. All right. I think we should give Dave the boot. All right. Bye. Bye, See you later, Dave. Bye. And he's gone. Play the thing. Spoiler time. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. I have a lot of stuff, as you know. I have a couple of, of things. Of course you do. Uh, we might have the same things, though, because there's chapter 58. Elokar mentions that he sees some weird things, and he's actually seen cryptics in the mirror, yep. I believe it. Because he's a potential uh, light weaver, just like Shallan. He didn't so, get a chance to fulfill that. Rest don't, in peace, Elokar. No, don't remind me. Freaking Moash. Anyway, um, but but Dave pointed it out. He's like, what is he, Shallan? And yeah, <laughs> he's a budding light weaver. Um, the thing with this, though, is that the, the cryptics are probably just looking at Elokar and deciding if they should send someone to start bonding him. I don't think they've started that process yet. He just sees them. And that's sort of what they do. They sort of do this observation type thing. That's what they were doing with Shallan. Um, well, until this this point when she starts accepting her bond. Um, and we see pattern in Words of Radiance. Anyway, when Kaladin eventually becomes a bodyguard for Elokar, they sort of go away, and I suspect it's because of Syl. Like, Cryptics and Honorsprin don't really like to interact very much, if at all. So, uh, he probably scares them away, but they start coming back because Elokar starts embracing some of the ideals that, that the Cryptics would like. So, that's why by Oathbringer, he's starting that process to do the bonding. He starts facing some of his self-delusions. Correct. Yep, yep. Basically so. acknowledging that he is, in fact, a bad king. He he takes the worst advice possible every time he gets a chance to, and he needs help. He needs someone who, who is actually good at this to show him how to do it. All he had to do, though, is listen to Dalinar. Like, that's it. Dalinar, just listen to Dalinar. But at the same time, he doesn't want that because that makes him seem so weak. And Dalinar um, is just one of his ten high princes. and. I mean, Dalinar already has way too much influence with the king compared to the rest of them. He he would basically just be giving Dalinar, Dalinar even more power than he already had instead yes. of trying to, you know, keep things balanced at least a little bit. Well, so he, he needs strength. He needs to be able to listen to his advisors, but make his own decisions. So when I say listen to Dalinar, what I mean is be able to listen to advice from Dalinar or turn to him and ask him for advice. But be willing to ultimately take the path that he needs to take, like take the decision for himself, not because Dalinar told him so. And Dalinar is also kind of bad at the whole advisor thing. He, yeah. he jumps between giving way too much advice and insisting that it being followed and giving no advice at all and assuming that Elokar is a grown man and a king who should know what to do. Yeah. These guys got some problems. 
But uh, I didn't realize it was this early that Elokar actually sees cryptics. And now it, it makes sense, especially in retrospect, knowing what happens in Oathbringer, that he is seeing cryptics. But it's just very obvious that even Dave made a quip about it. So I'm not sure if Dave realizes it, but it, it makes sense. And of course, we didn't ask him about it because we're not going to point that out. Uh, seeing the cryptics in, in mirrors also uh, helps fuel his paranoia, which is yeah. great. For everybody. True. Um, you know, combined with... So, seeing cryptics, facing actual low-level assassination attempts that nobody believes him about because they're they're so, like, mundane. Uh, and having his father be murdered at a feast when he was a child. Yeah. That's... That is... That is paranoia soup right there. So, I had some thoughts about cryptics, because they're weird. Um... They like they like lies, but they also really like truth. Um, and reading rereading Words of Radiance, I realized like how Pattern really enjoys structure. He likes things that make sense to him. If it's logical, if it's orderly. So my thought with cryptics is that they prefer order, but but lies are so interesting. It's sort of like taboo. Like ooh, that's that's nice. So I think they enjoy lies because. It's so unusual, but in order to progress the bond, you have to have ultimate. You have to be honest with yourself about something that you're usually deeply dishonest about. I like that take on it. Like, maybe the reason they enjoy lies is because they can't make them. Right. Although Pattern does try to be sarcastic, so it happens. But that's well, because that's, of the bond. Yeah, that's what they get out of the bond is more abstract forms of thought. Yeah. Where, you know, Syl gets sentience and stops acting like a wind's friend. Um, Pattern gets to, instead of just well, he being... Also he also gets sentience. But, I mean, back in back in the cognitive realm, he would also have sentience just like Syl would. But so, so, yeah, he, he gets a rounder personality, basically. That's discussed in Words of Reigns, I believe, by Pattern himself. When they're in the Cognitive Realm, it's sort of, every, you can predict exactly what Spren do. They have sentience, but they don't necessarily have free choice. Um, they they tend to make the same decisions and same actions all the time, so it's very predictable. So, yeah, coming, like, bonding with someone in the physical realm and and going there means things can be different and unique. but. The risk of that is, of course, they will die. They they believe the death is inevitable, so we we don't know that yet. Like why that's the case, but uh, we'll see. Well, I'm on board with it being Ishar's fault. Yeah, I'm with you. I'll I'll, I'll back that up. It's always Ishar's fault. Yeah. Um. And the 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 other thing I want to discuss is they pointed out with Fabrials may have Sprint inside of them. Like that's sort of how they work. Um. Maybe even there's a pain sprint inside of that Fabriel, the pain reel that they were using. I think there has to be one, which then means that there's an opposite version of that that works very similarly, except it adds pain. Right, an enhancer instead of the diminisher. Yep. Uh, I believe the words of Radiance Ars Arcanum has the Fabriel section, and it talks about the different types of Fabrials. Um, so also in Chapter 58, we have Yakimov who I believe is one of the four that Adolin fights yep. in the big duel. Yep, uh, he is. And we, we get to see Danlin again, who is a member of one of the secret societies. She 
the diagram, I think. Is she with the diagram? Uh, she, hold on, I'm trying to remember, because I just read that, and yeah, she's, she's in, give me a second, I'm she, just Oh, she's like, she's with, she's with Graves' offshoot of the diagram, the ones who are trying to kill Elicar. Yeah, she's part of Graves' plot to kill the king and replace him with Dalinar. So she's with Graves, who's part of the diagram. So she's probably part of the diagram. Ooh, I remembered the right secret society. Go me. Yay, we did it! Like, uh, so it's... The best thing that we can do when it comes to the secret societies is that there's just concentrate on the big ones: Sons of Honor, the Diagram, and um, <laughs> and the Ghost Bloods, um, and the Storm Wardens, and the Invisitors, no, 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 stop, and, stop, and the World Singers, Skybreakers. I'm saying focus on the main three because they seem to butt heads a lot with each other. Except, the Diagram. Well, Ghost Bloods are frequently butting heads with Sons of Honor. In, in these that. chapters, though, Dalinar actually goes at some length about the Storm Wardens, so we get some some good information on them right here in this section. Yeah, well, Dave I'm didn't talk about it, focus, but yeah. Focus on the main ones, because at least they're easy to see. Not necessarily what their motivations are, because the Ghostbloods are still sort of questionable. Sons of Honor is very easy what they're trying to do, because that's Gavilar, that was his big plan. Bring back the Voidbringers, hey, then you get Knights Radiant as well. And there's at and least by one the way, Storm Warden working with the Sons of Honor, uh, and um, Amaram uses their same um, glyph script, so it's it's sort of implied that that they're working closely together, which might mean so you think that the Sons of Honor and Storms Ward Storm Wardens might be they might at be at least working together, like the same group. But I'm thinking more that the Storm Wardens are just doing their best to infiltrate all the groups. So. Sons of Honor, their goal, like I said, is to bring back the Knights Radiant with the ultimate goal of making the Vorin uh, religion and society being top again. Like, it's sort of like we need to get this power back. And that's sort of how they feel like it can come about. By the way, the Invigigers are also trying to do something similar, which is bring back uh, the Knights Radiant. They're they're focusing more on the Knight Radiant aspect, but they're also about trying to harm themselves, put themselves uh, in a in a very risky area, hoping that they can sort of activate the Nitroradian bond again. That's what the Envisagers were up to, and why Tef, and we get this more in Words of Radiance, but why Tef was feeling a little um, questionable about it, and why he told someone about it, because he felt like they were a danger to themselves, but ultimately, uh, they decided, hey, let's just kill them off, because they're trying to kill themselves. It's weird and stupid, but that's what happened. We don't really know what the ghost bloods are up to, though, which is scary. And we do know what the diagram is up to. At least we know the ultimate goal of them is to preserve humanity in some way, based on Teravangian's visions and and um, super brilliant day. But they go about it in very very weird ways. And I will say, Words of Radiance does focus on that journey before destination aspect, where you have a number of groups of people like the Sons of Honor that are willing to and Sadius willing to the ends justify the means type people where they want a certain goal and it's not about how they get there whereas of course you have dalinar and co who are like well the journey actually matters so something to look forward to when we actually get to that book sorry i was reading it that's why i have stuff to say about it regarding the diagram uh as of oathbringer they are now being manipulated uh pretty openly by odium so yeah yeah not great We'll have to see if is it is this one of cultivation's great plans or is this uh Odium gonna 
I don't know. This is it's we don't know. We just don't know. Rhythm of War will hopefully give us more info. But I, for one, do not trust the Ghost Bloods at all, which has me worried for Shalon. But we'll see. I don't know. The the fact that we only get to see like their ruthlessness and their actions, but not their goals suggests right. to me that Brandon is trying to set up something to just to just subvert everything. And they're actually the good guys. They've been they've been working for the good stuff all the whole way through. Well, but they are they are also ends justify the means type people. They're willing to just kill, slaughter, whatever. I mean, not necessarily the top ghost bloods, but at least some of the members are sort of like, yeah, we'll just kill them off because they're a problem. I mean, they were trying to kill Gazna for a long time. Well, that's really only relevant for people who aren't Knights Radiant and specifically people who aren't the nine orders of Knights Radiant that aren't else callers because else callers apparently get a free pass. What do you mean? Oh, are you talking about... Yasna's uh, ends do justify the means. She gets to bypass that. She's interesting, and else callers in general have a very loose interpretation of the first ideal. Because it's still a journey before destination, but it's a journey of humanity rather than specifically of the Knight Radiant himself. Right. So that's how Yasna sort of gets around that ideal. And, uh, what was it? Oh, okay, so I'm kind of skeeved out by any of the Knight's Radiant holding political power. Okay. Um, it just, it seems like too much in, too much power in, in too few people's hands. Sure, and Um, we got Yasna. But Yasna being an else caller and having different rules means that she can more effectively rule while still maintaining her uh, oaths. I see. Right. Because she does have to follow her oath, just like all the Knights Radiant, but her looser interpretation means she can do what's best for the people. Right. Where Dalinar can very, very easily find himself, you know, caught between, well, this will keep my kingdom and all of my people from getting killed, but it'll break my oath to the Stormfather. Yeah, well, Stormfather will not go at all for that. You break his oath, you're done. Done. So yeah, Dalinar having having that level of power is super duper bad because it can go really bad really easily. Well, well so he leads Arithiru and the Knights Radiant. Like, specifically, that's the country, quote-unquote, that he will rule over. Because he, d- he doesn't rule over Alucard, that's Yasna. Right, and that is, like, okay... So my thinking is that the Knights Radiant should have power in Erythiru yeah. and and should be able to go around the world and do stuff, but not right. actually hold, you know, land political power titles in those yeah. other countries. Agree. Which sort of is an issue that we have a herald who is leading a country, Ishar. Ishar is that herald. Dang it, Ishar. Um, but like, yeah. back to him again. The Voren kingdoms are set up such that shardbearers are automatically, you know, high, That's high true, level nobles right. with land, with titles, with with people underneath them that are that are their responsibility. Like Kaladin owns a chunk of Alethkar now that he has seen but hasn't actually gotten to visit. So. And I, th- I think that's basically how their society was set up after the recreants when they took the shards and basically said, we are the nobles now. We're the ones in power. It wasn't necessarily that the Knights Radiant had that kind of political uh, power, although I'm sure there was something there because um, they don't they didn't have oaths to have their shards like unlike actual 
uh, nitradians. So we'll have to see if that's corrected. But right now, yeah, shard bearers, well, knights radiant are going to have a ton of political power and they probably should. Oh, uh, that leads me to my next thing, which is Dalinar's vision, where he gets to meet Nohadon. Yeah. Or no hat on, as Dave called him. Um, that is the final desolation. That's when we saw that in the uh, in the prelude with the okay. Wow, blanking on the heralds. So Nohadan is was a part of the the final destination desolation. The final destination series of movies where where teenagers <laughs> are murdered in overly elaborate ways. Yes, All right. Uh, yeah, that was that's that's then. It's just you know different part of the world than where all the heralds were but yeah because because of the the death count and the frequency of the desolations we know that and it also Nohadon was king of alakar he's a surge binder took the throne during a desolation that lasted for 11 years killing nine out of ten of his subjects which is and the fact that big. he was he was able to uh solidify his rule and basically live in a relatively peaceful world for the rest of his life and then be able to write that book means right. that there weren't any more desolations. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's ever explicitly said, but that's that's some good info, some good logicking. And Dalinar is playing the role of a one-armed man. Not, no not relevant at might all. Have been a, but, yeah. Nohadon might have been a bondsman like Dalinar. Um, in the there, one vision... In the vision that he gets later that Odium tampers with, uh, I thought... Nohadon was a uh, windrunner, but it, it's it is not stated, and there's a theory, and Brandon has not confirmed whether he is or not. So we don't know what order he's in. Keep in mind, Bondsmith share a surge with windrunners. I, I think they share he's in. A, right. Yes. Um, but so, but that's also the first vision that um, Odium tampered with, so we can't really trust anything from that one. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, by the way, guys, I just finished my reread of Words for Radiance. It is so impossible to put the book down for part five. Like, all of part five, the moment I started, like, well, this is my afternoon. I need to read all of this. It's so good, guys. So yep. good. Uh, so, what's what's coming up? Uh, we have one more bridge run from Kaladin, where he gets to try out the Parshendi armor. Right. And he has now committed multiple war crimes and is about to commit more. <laughs> yeah, that's what he does, sure. He has desecrated corpses he's and is protect- now he's now wearing their corpses and flaunting it in front of the Barshendi. Yeah, I don't think he realizes that it's not armor. Or maybe he does by now because of how they remove the, the carapace. No, this is this is one hundred percent intentional. He yeah, knows know. the reaction he's gonna get. Yeah, he's counting on it. Um, so we get that, and then I think the next time we get a Kaladin bridge run is the the tower, isn't it? Yeah, yes, that is correct. It is coming up really quick. Oh man, that seems so good. That when when Kaladin comes, oh my gosh, I can't wait to hear Dave's reaction. One of the best scenes in the book. And then Dalinar gives up his shard blade to Sadius, and we we get back to Shalon to find out what Yasna has been researching. So thankfully, Tori, the way she came up with the, the diagram in the episode list, we're cutting next week will be that that first uh, bridge run that you mentioned where he tries out the thing. 
and then uh, some other, you know, setup and everything. And I think you're cutting it. Yeah, you're cutting it right before they do that. The big bridge run. No, no, no. You're, you're cutting it in the middle of the bridge run when Sadie starts to retreat. Nice. Oh, man. Cliffhanger. Like he starts to retreat and Kaladin sees that. And Dalinar notices Sadius's betrayal, and then that's where Dave will have to wait for a week. Yes. So that's the day that Dave decides to read immediately after we stop recording. Probably, because then chapter sixty-seven is words. That's the name of it, and clearly we can tell that's when he says the words. All right. Uh, anybody else have anything? Well, I can't wait. Good stuff. It's so much good stuff. And then we get to leave words or leave Roshar alone for a while and go back to Skadriel. Which I'm also looking forward to because we can finally talk about error too. And there's some neat things there. So that'll be fun. So alright, I'm gonna go ahead and end it. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye Internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.